Welcome back to another episode of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. Obviously here to recap a massive fight where Tyson Fury stopped Deontay Wilder in round seven. But we're also going to get into the latest with Canelo Alvarez, his May 2nd opponent, and preview the upcoming welterweight fight between the returning Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas on a stacked card in Dallas. First, let's get right into the Wilder Fury breakdown. Lance, you and I, when we talked about this fight on the podcast last week, both of us said we would not be surprised if Fury went for the knockout. But me personally, I was surprised by just how easy he made it look in there, executing that plan to perfection. What did you think about that, that, that strategy and how easy he made it look? I thought it was a master performance by Tyson Fury. I mean, we knew that this, this guy could box Mike, and we knew that he was a he's a brilliant guy inside and outside of the ring. And clearly, by relying on getting in shape, becoming more muscular, um, you know, working as hard as he did in the gym with uh, Sugar Hill Stewart, and coming up with this attack first mentality that he was going to take into this fight against Deontay Wilder, who's always been sort of chided at for not being the most sophisticated boxer, Tyson Fury now stands again as a heavyweight champion. And to me, it, it, it represents one of the most redeeming events we've ever seen in the sport. Yeah, it was great to see that too, from the perspective of trying to build Tyson Fury into a megastar. He's always had the personality to do so, always had the skills, but he's been panned by a lot of people for his style inside the ring. Wasn't always the most aesthetically pleasing and on Saturday, we see him going, you know, seek and destroy from the opening bell when he sprinted to the center of the ring to meet Wilder. So if he can keep that up, that's going to go a long way. Because even though the fight was one-sided, I think everyone went home happy, don't you? You're absolutely right, Mike. Tyson Fury was entertaining from the time that he came into the ring or toward the ring on a, on a rolling throne, wearing a king's crown and a robe. And then what he did from the opening bell, just dissecting Deontay Wilder's defense with power punches and, you know, getting close, being brave, not fearing even, you know, some of the heavy punches that Deontay Wilder was, was throwing his way, even in the early rounds, Tyson Fury was not worried about those standing 273 pounds. It was a, it was a master class, like I said. Lance, you broke the news on Monday that Deontay Wilder is going to indeed exercise that rematch clause and set us all up for a trilogy fight with Tyson Fury. And I'm told that's probably going to take, could take place in July. But do we see this fight going any different? And do we want to see this third fight? We saw Anthony Joshua come back from a knockout loss to Andy Ruiz and outbox the Mexican champion and get his titles back. But do we see Deontay Wilder making adjustments? You know, honestly, you know what's funny, Mike, is that I always thought that the, the only way that this trilogy fight would not happen is if Deontay Wilder knocked out Tyson Fury in the early round. But now that Tyson Fury has turned the tables and so dominated in this fight, I look, I think that honestly, Deontay Wilder, it is the first loss of his career. He has the opportunity and ability to get back in the gym to address, you know, some of the defensive deficiencies that we saw address whatever in the heck was going on with his conditioning, because clearly he was not himself, you know, avenged this defeat. Do I, what would I pick in that fight? Of course, I would pick Tyson Fury right now. No doubt about it, based on just how significant and, and sharp he was. But Deontay Wilder, you can't put it past him. The same right hand is just so powerful. 
And look what he did. He's already, you know, he he has gone 12 rounds with Tyson Fury. I know it was a it was a different Tyson Fury in December 2018, but I believe that Deontay Wilder at least deserves this shot to redeem himself. And instead of like throwing him to the to the side and saying your career's over, you know, this is the deal they signed up for. He the fact that he's exercising his right to to take this third fight, I think you know it speaks volumes about who Deontay Wilder is as a, as a confident fighter. And that's why we're going to probably see it in July, like you said. I just question, Lance, what Deontay Wilder can really do differently. You say he can work on his defense. He's 34 years old. Is he really going to uh-huh. all of a sudden become a better defensive fighter? I'm not sure. And I just was disappointed with the way he was telegraphing that right hand all throughout the fight. And then, you know, you've said about his conditioning. We've heard a lot of people say, I'm not sure his conditioning or his legs were really that bad other than his legs seems to go out from underneath him after Fury landed that right hand right on the temple in the third round for the knockdown. A shot like that really can ruin your equilibrium for the rest of the fight. We saw Andy Ruiz hit Joshua with a similar shot behind the ear when they met last June, and Joshua's legs weren't the same going forward. So was it really conditioning, or was it just an equilibrium shot? Well, and you... You're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, I thought that the fight changed once Tyson Fury started landing those blows on Deontay Wilder. But I was talking to a trainer today who was saying that, look, Deontay Wilder, and actually I was talking to uh, Eric Gomez, who used to promote Deontay Wilder and and was like a matchmaker for some of his uh, fights right up to the time he first became champion. He said what Deontay Wilder lost sight of was he he used to pop that jab. You know, he, he beat Severn in that first time they fought by popping the jab. And it seems like for a long time now, he's just been kind of pawing that jab and not using that. I mean, I'm not saying that Deontay Wilder is capable of, like, completely reinventing the wheel at age 34. But definitely an entire camp of, hey, this is what you, you, you did wrong. This is why you lost this fight. And working on those deficiencies. Look, if it's a replay of, of, of this fight, then all hail Tyson Fury. But Deontay Wilder uh, reigned as heavyweight champion for five years. He, you know, defended his belt. This was the 11th time. I just think that he deserves the shot to say, let me see if I can figure this guy out. And is he my kryptonite or not? If he is, so be it. Tyson Fury moves on to Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder gets another lucrative payday. I agree, Lance. He definitely deserves another shot. But if he's going to clean up any deficiencies, like you say, then I'm assuming he's going to have to bring in a new trainer or at least a new voice into his camp. We saw we saw Tyson Fury leave Ben Davison and bring in Sugar Hill Stewart and really revamp his style, go fight more aggressively, sit down on his punches. It's a great results. And there seems like there could be an opening in Wilder's camp, right? He told you that he's so angry with Mark Breland for throwing in the towel that he is thinking about dismissing him from his team. Do you see him dismissing it from his team? And if he does, is it a good idea? Yes, Mike. I absolutely believe that he will dismiss Mark Breland. Um, he's very, very upset that, you know, Breland threw in the towel when he was, he felt like Breland and JD's, his head trainer, were under firm orders to never throw in the towel on him. Now, look, as a human being, I vehemently disagree with Deontay Wilder. His trainers are there to protect him. Clearly, he was in a pretty worrisome condition. Uh, by anyone who was watching this uh, fight. And for Breland, a former welterweight champion who knows this sport, all he was doing was saying, look, 
look, Deontay, you're the father of eight children. You have the opportunity to fight another day and collect some very lucrative purses. Let's call it a night right now and let's move on. Let's take the loss and move on. But Deontay Wilder, you know, look, he insists. I don't think he's acting. He says he's a warrior. I have this warrior mentality. I've talked about, you know, taking a man's life in the ring. And and I feel the same way if, I, if it's, I'm on the other end of things and someone is capable of taking me, me out and ending my life, then, you know, so be it. I know that that's part of the game. He's a real savage on that, on that front. So if they are going to replace Freeland, Mike, I think that they need to bring in some kind of respected veteran trainer who will lend a, a such a credible voice to what Deontay Wilder needs uh, in hindsight of what happened on Saturday night against Tyson. Right, and I am surprised that Mark Breland has the authority to throw in Mattel being the assistant trainer. Usually that responsibility lies with the head trainer, and in that case, that's JD's. Do you think he needs to bring in another voice anyway just to help with JD's? I mean, JD's is a guy who isn't a boxing lifer. Wilder is his one and only big-name fighter. Right. Yes, well, I think that the reason that Mark Breland exists in the first place is because JD's wanted this extra voice of experience from someone who had been through the, you know, the ringer as a, as a fighter. And so if they, if they take away Mark Breland, even, even if he stays in camp and there's, I know Deontay referenced that in my conversation with him, that he said it's a possibility that he'll remain part of the team, but not work my corner on fight night. I still think that those guys should consider bringing in some other voice that at least can provide some insight or some food for thought about, look, this is what I saw. This is why you guys got picked apart. This is why Fury was able to penetrate you with these blows. And you've got to do this, that, and the other to be ready to, to win this trilogy fight. If not, I mean, and that, look, and it includes Mike, not even a trainer, but like to me, I think he should also kind of hone in on a, uh, on a new conditioning coach to make sure that he has his legs that uh, betrayed him in this fight. I mean, you made big headlines with this costume excuse. I mean, it's one of the more absurd things I think I've heard in some time in sports, not just boxing. Uh, a 40-pound costume that he wore as his ring walk outfit, he's saying drained his legs. I mean, what do we, what do we make of this? It just sounds absolutely ludicrous. And even if he does truly believe it, why say it? Look, you're absolutely right. I don't think anyone wants to hear a fighter or any great athlete who's gone through a defeat come up with a, a slew of excuses. And that's exactly what we got from Deontay Wilder. It never is received well. Everyone's going to scoff at it. That to me, the better, the better way to deal with this is to tip your cap to your opponent who has defeated you. Say you were the better man that night, you know, uh, congratulations, but I plan to make myself better and I will see you next time. If he had just said that, Mike, I mean, he doesn't take any of this heat that he's really taken, but you're absolutely right. Deontay Wilder believes these things. He believes that they contributed to his demise and he said, them. I mean, the, the conversation that I had with him in the, uh, in the story that posted on the athletic was basically all I said was Deontay, you don't look like yourself in there. Can you talk about why that was? And, and I think that we can all agree on that. And then he has proceeded to elaborate on all these things about the, about the outfit that he wore about uh, Mark Breland throwing in the towel and he felt like he still had a chance to come back. And then also about the referee, Kenny Bayless, and saying that Bayless, after scolding Deontay in the pre-fright dressing room about 
if you throw a punch behind the head, I'm going to disqualify you. He said that Fury threw several of those punches and was never really disciplined until the fifth round when it was basically too late and the damage had been done. I mean, Kenny Ballas is one of the best referees in the sport. I thought he did an excellent job outside of really docking the point from Tyson Fury. I thought that was overkill. So if anything, he was more helpful to Deontay than, than he was to Fury. I, I thought he did a great job breaking up the guys. And this was not an easy fight to officiate. Fury was mauling Deontay Wilder, leaning on him. But, and he was fighting a little dirty, no, no question. But there was certainly nothing that I thought warranted a point at that particular juncture. He'd given him one firm warning. Usually you see two firm warnings. But no, no complaints with the job Ballas did. I do think it's surprising that Wilder is throwing shade at him. Um, I just didn't see any issue with Kenny Ballas. Yeah, I mean, to me, the only thing that I saw from Kenny Bayless that was a little bit worrisome, it seemed like he was getting a little bit uh, overwhelmed by these massive bodies when he was trying to separate them. But, you know, you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, Kenny Bayless has a, a, a very strong reputation in this sport. And, you know, Deontay should know that, too. It's kind of like goes down to, like, pick your battles or at least pick something that you're going to hang your hat on as, as to why, why he lost. To throw out numerous things really kind of like further diminishes, you know, the way this is all being viewed. And you would you would think at some point some people are going to get to Deontay and say, look, enough with the excuses. Take the loss. Give Tyson his credit. And let's let's aim to be at our best in that third fight. Bayless definitely had a lot of trouble separating those two guys. I mean, we're talking about 273-pound man and Deontay Wilder, who's 231. Not an easy task, and Kenny Bellis is a smaller guy. I don't know why they didn't get a bigger referee, and I'd like to see one for the third fight. I remember when Lennox Lewis fought Mike Tyson in 2002. They had Big Eddie Cotton. Remember that, Lance? He was like 6'6", big dude, yeah. and had and he was more easy. It was easier for him to break the guys up. So I think if the fight's going to happen in Nevada, and again, which I expected to, I'd like to see uh, Bob Bennett kind of address that. Yeah, and I'm sure he will consider that because, look, I think he leaned on Kenny Bayless's experience and not his uh, not his size. Who was he going to throw in there, Mike? Robert Bird? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe Robert Bird, but Bird's probably <laughs> best his best days at this point. So, I guess maybe yeah, Slim Pickens. Got a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah. maybe we maybe we can get a couple of boxing writers to volunteer to be referee. <laughs> but Mike, I think that, you know, what really struck me, Mike, and I know you wrote about this um, on The Athletic, you can check that story out right now, is that for Tyson Fury, he really emerges, perhaps, I know we have a, an existing face of boxing with Canelo Alvarez, but I've heard from more than one person that, look, again, as the heavyweights go, so go boxing. And I've heard from people saying that if Tyson Fury is the new face of boxing, I love it. This guy is so entertaining and charismatic and witty, and he's, a, he's an outstanding fighter as well. I mean, do you think that this can really take, take hold for Tyson and he can, you know, keep it together and stand as, as the face of boxing? I think he has a chance to be the face of boxing and a real one of that magnetic personality, ESPN back, backing, heavyweight champion, and he has a look to him, right? He's just so entertaining, singing after the fight, the entrance into, into the fight. But I don't think he's just there yet. He's only had one truly high-profile fight. That first fight with Wilder didn't cross over. So I think right now Canelo's the face of boxing. But I think Fury is maybe you know another Wilder fight away or a Wilder and a Joshua fight away 
from achieving that status. But do you think he's there right now? I, yeah, I agree with you that he's, you know, he, he made significant strides. I mean, we are waiting as of now to see how the pay-per-view did with ESPN and Fox both being involved in this fight. But I, look, this is very, very inexact and it's not scientific at all. But just by the reaction that our coverage has received on this fight, Mike, I think that those guys are going to uh, definitely exceed 1 million buys that they were aiming for. And I think with uh, on top of, you know, on top of that success and on top of what he did in the ring, Tyson Fury, the, the world is his because all he's going to have now is, is like you've talked about, you know, just another reconfirmation of his skills in the third meeting against Deontay Wilder with this mega fight looming against Anthony Joshua. I guess uh, one of my questions for you, Mike, was that are you, are you pretty bummed? Because it seemed like they, they could have worked out a way for Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua to have met if Wilder did not invoke this, uh, this trilogy fight. They still could figure out a way. It just would be very costly. You think so? They could, I mean, in theory, sure. There's no reason why top rank couldn't go to PBC and say, look, we'll give Deontay Wilder a few million dollars, whatever X amount, you know, the dollars they can negotiate. Step aside, let Fury fight Joshua, and we'll give you the first crack at the winner of that fight. But you know how this goes. There's so many complications aside from that. Even if Fury and Joshua weren't tied up, we'd have problems. The zone isn't a pay-per-view arm, and the zone doesn't have nearly the reach Fox does. So it just... Just a lot of complications, and I, I hope I hope we get the fight even when these guys are free and clear of their business, assuming they are. Yeah, I I, I tried to address this subject uh, yesterday with Bob Aram before I spoke to Deontay because at that point it was still unclear what Deontay was going to do. And Aram said, "Look, I think that we could we could work out a deal where ESPN and the Zone both cast it." as a pay-per-view and the zone kind of goes against its own model and just, you know, provides some kind of upcharge for this, for this special uh, night of boxing with Joshua versus Fury. And I said, look, I mean, how can you say that the zone is the company that has said pay-per-view is dead. And he's like, well, he's like Tyson Fury came back from the dead to become heavyweight champion. So there's no reason that they can't make it happen. So, <laughs> uh, humorous logic as usual from Bob Arum, but he thinks that it would be uh, doable. I mean, like you said, I agree with you. It's hard. I mean, the zone has uh, pretty much a set plan in place to its consumers. How are they going to, going to go against that for the biggest fight yet that they've ever, uh, you know, broadcast? I mean, maybe the way to do it in the future, and this would be hard with Wilder waiting, but you do a two fight deal. And the first fight is a, as an ESPN pay-per-view, and the second fight is a straight fight on the zone. Maybe that would work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I talked to, uh, actually, Brian Kenny uh, mentioned that idea to me uh, uh, a couple days before the fight. And that could happen. It's just that one of them it would be left out, and then you know that there would be some arguing, well, you know, like the first fight's better than the second fight, dot, 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 dot and all that. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be complicated. But, you know, as we saw with the with, – uh, Fury Wilder too. If it's a if it's a big matchup that everyone wants to see, it's worth trying and, and it's worth doing. Right, no question. And you know, going back to Wilder Fury three for a second. Well, I guess it would be Fury Wilder three now. That Fury one. Yes. Um, yes. Going back to Fury Wilder three. 
where do we think Deontay Wilder's psyche is going to be at? Because this wasn't, you know, oh, he was caught by a punch and knocked out. He took a seven-round beating. Yes, and, you know, look, if he, if he views it as a seven-round beating, then his psyche is definitely damaged. But having spoken to him, you know, the, the old positive, uplifting Deontay Wilder was, was the person I spoke to yesterday. And, look, there's probably some belief I know that there was some belief in, in his voice and, and, the, and the way that he talked so sincerely about this, that all of these other factors played a role in his demise. So, you know, if he, if he believes that and then he believes that he can address some of the things that he needs to to be better prepared for that fight, um, you know, I think that he will go in there pretty strong-minded. You know, if we see a repeat of what we saw on Saturday night, clearly then he's going to know once and for all Tyson Fury, without a doubt, is the better man, and now I need to move on to whatever uh, is left for my career. But it, it should not involve Tyson Fury. Uh. You know, Lance, you took a lot of criticism. You went out on a on a branch and put Wilder on your pound for pound list. But now I think it's time to put Fury on the list, and and I, th- I can't see anyone arguing with that. No, absolutely not. I mean, if anything, I mean, the reason that I took heat for Deontay Wilder is people said he didn't know how to box other than you know, throw the big right hand. You can't make that case with Tyson Fury. I mean, this is a guy who's very, very sophisticated in his feints, all of his movements, just the, all the trickery, trickery that he's capable of doing in the ring, you know, playing up to the judges. He's a boxer at, at, at his, in his purest essence, even if he is a big, bigger man, 6'9", 273 on, on this night, and has been accused of, you know, being more of a wrestler than a boxer. I disagree with that. I think Tyson Fury is a great boxer, and he absolutely needs to be on that list, replacing Wilder, if not you know, higher up uh, after this showing. So what do you think? Does this third fight bring in commercial success? Does it Because the fight wasn't very competitive, and I've seen a lot of comments from fans on Twitter saying that they don't really want to see a third fight. I think that it'll... I, I, I think it'll do fine. I don't think, obviously, rematches usually don't fare as well as the first fight did. Um, but I think that that's going to be, you know, like you said, I think that that's something that's going to be in the discussions between Bob Arum and Al Heyman. And as they really, you know, get down to the final signing of doing this trilogy fight, they're going to examine this in the strongest way possible. And I think that that's, that's something to keep an eye on because, Deontay Wilder, in my honest opinion, I do believe that he would be better served to let Fury go toward Joshua. You know, right now that fight is, is prime for the making. And then, you know, take on a couple fights. Maybe it's, maybe it's Andy Ruiz. Maybe it's, uh, you know, even someone like a, a prospect on his way up, like a Jogba, a big, a big hitting guy that he can look good against and feel better about. And then you're like, well, this, this, you know, this is Deontay Wilder. You know, with with the same knockout power, he he's not he hasn't declined at all. And then he would be uh, in position to, you know, take take this fight on again, and and you're, he's viewed differently by the public. Now, you know, I think it's going to slip because a lot of people are going to be less interested in seeing what they viewed as a beatdown, even though Deontay Wilder is going to do his best job of of talking it up. Well, Fury could be the face of boxing in due time, but the current face of boxing is Canelo Alvarez, and we're all still waiting to see who he's going to fight on May 2nd. 
the, the latest I hear, and I'm sure you're hearing the same, Lance, is both Callum Smith and Billy Joe Saunders in the mix. Who do we think is going to get the fight? You know, it's increasingly, uh, as, we're, uh, as we're talking now, I mean, this thing is uh, in flux. It could happen any minute. Um, Callum Smith has uh, come back from what he was, uh, you know, he had offered like way too much or what he wanted was way too much. And so now he has a better opportunity to land this fight. Honestly, Mike, I'm going to ask you your opinion. I actually like Callum Smith as an opponent better. I think it would be a better fight uh, for the fans than uh, a fight against the, the crafty uh, Billy Joe Saunders. What's your take on that? I think Callum Smith is a much better fight in the ring because he'll come forward and throw big punches, and he's a huge super middleweight. And I think Billy Joe Saunders gives us a way better promotion. Callum Smith doesn't really say much. Uh -huh. He's very respectful. Saunders, I, 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 it's hard to get more disrespectful than Billy Joe Saunders. And I also uh -huh. like the whole angle coming up of the Fury win. Fury and, and Saunders are great friends. They're both Irish travelers, gypsies. So a lot of synergy there. I'm sure the zone would love that. Coming, you know, saying, hey, look, this is Fury's guy. Uh, it's great synergy. So for that, all the reasons, look, we're journalists, right? I, I want to see the good writing yes. fight. Give me Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders. What about getting revenge, revenge for your brother, though, like Callum Smith wants to do for his brother Liam? I mean, Liam Smith, is, Liam Smith, is, Liam Smith has been beaten so many times, though. He should get. He has, I don't know where he begins to get revenge. Wow! Wow! Great point. <laughs> maybe, maybe go fight Jaime Munguia. Yeah, and one of the issues, and I know it's still, you know, again being discussed, is uh, whether this fight will be in Las Vegas or in England. But I just think that it's it's tough to take a Cinco de Mayo fight out of Las Vegas. Uh, you've got to, you've got to do that. Canelo Alvarez, like he's actually, you know, helped enhance this holiday in, in, a, in a very special way by being so present on Cinco de Mayo. And I, I actually hope that it, it does remain in Las Vegas. Any, any real news on that subject, Mike, about where it's going to land? I guess the, the, the thing that I heard is that first they're going to establish the opponent and then they'll get to the site. The zone owns the worldwide rights to Canelo Alvarez's fights, and I know that they're launching a new app, a worldwide app, in the coming weeks. So th that could possibly be attractive to them to have the fight in London, with, especially against a, a British fighter. But for all the reasons you said, Canelo makes way more sense in Vegas. He, this is Vegas, May second is his town, his date, and it's always a ten-pole event. Assuming Golden Boy keeps the date. You know, unlike what happens last September, I, I'm fine. At the end, end of the day, I'm fine with either Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders. Doesn't seem it seems to be as definitely going to be one of those two guys, and I'm ready to just get the promotion underway at this point. The other thing that I think that it, you know, when you talk about story points, Mike, Callum Smith, I I believe uh, has presents a more convincing argument that I can beat Canelo Alvarez more than more than Billy Joe Saunders. I know he wasn't that. He didn't look that strong in his last fight, but this is a guy who does have significant power, who is a, you know, world champion. And, you know, I, I just think that it, from that standpoint too, from the competitive uh, equity standpoint, Callum Smith, if he does emerge as the, as the choice, it's not a, it's not a bad option or plan B to Billy Joe Saunders. No, not at all. I, 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 I agree with you. I think it is a better fight in the ring. Canelo versus Callum Smith, both two big punchers, 
and 168 pounds is where Canelo is going to really plant his flag now. So we have lots of great fights we can see there in the future, whether it's Demetrius Andrade, who, who could go up to 68. I know Jamal Charles talked about going up to 68. We have Caleb Plant there, David Benavidez. And this suddenly that's like one of the best divisions in boxing. Yeah, you know what, Mike? It was pretty disappointing during fight week, uh, real quick, when Samson Lukowitz of uh, David Benavidez, who represents David Benavidez, said he doesn't see this fight against Caleb Plant happening until uh, May of 2021. It's like, you guys, I mean, this fight is, is ripe to be made right now. Why would you, why would you uh, put this thing on pause? That's just like, I mean, as, as, as great as Saturday night was, and it was really boxing at its finest, the parties got together and made the fight. Not making Plant and uh, Benavides is like boxing at its worst. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's a great fight. And I'm told that David Benavides is going to come back April 18th on Showtime, defending his super middleweight title against Caleb Truax. And it's funny, Lance, because when I reported it, I had so many people say, oh, I saw Caleb, and I thought it was Caleb Plant for a second. <laughs> yeah, and remember when they had that, uh, that Fox News conference Caleb Plant was so unknown, he got confused with Caleb Truex and got kind of pissed off at it. <laughs> I forgot all about that. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. So we also have another big fight this week. It's a really, it's honestly top to bottom, the big, the most stacked card of the zone era so far, I think. You look at the card in Frisco, tops by Mikey Garcia against Jesse Vargas. Mikey Garcia returning to the same city where he suffered his first professional defeat. That was actually one year ago, a shutout loss to Errol Spence Jr. And also on the card, we have another guy looking for redemption, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez in his first title fight since he was brutally knocked out by Rung Vasai. Um, I think it's like a year and a half ago at this point. We have Julio Cesar Martinez, who looks like to be a rising star, 112-pound champion, fighting Jay Harris. And then there's former heavyweight champion Joseph Parker coming back. Israel Madrimov fighting in an eliminator. And that's all without Murat Gassiev, who was supposed to make his heavyweight debut, but was pulled from the card. But what do you think about this card top to bottom? Is this the best card from the zone? Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it has so many intriguing uh, plots to it. And, and Mike, honestly, I mean, when you're talking about the former pound for pound uh, king, uh, Chocolatito returning to, this, returning to the ring and fighting in Frisco, I mean, there is so much intrigue I know that I have in how he's going to look. You know, are his better days uh, far past him? Or is this guy still capable of, of being the sensation that he was, you know, before he, he first lost to uh, Sorangwasai um, at the Madison Square Garden? The hope is that he will, you know, be able to reconnect and find the fountain of youth, so to speak. I just, I, I have my doubts about it. Then when you when you talk about uh, Mikey Garcia, so many people are saying like, why is he so stubborn and staying as a welterweight, especially against someone like Jesse Vargas? I see this as a 50-50 fight. I've heard that from more than uh, more than one person. And for Mikey, I know he wants to prove himself that he is a welterweight, but it does almost seem like, hey, don't don't be so so bullheaded. You know, you know where your what your ultimate weight class is. Why don't you just fight there? Well, Mike Garcia actually told me that he wanted to fight at 140 pounds in this next fight, but that it just didn't work out with the opponents on the zone. And he didn't want some like tune-up comeback fight. So then, yes, he went to 147 
And Jesse Vargas is actually, even though he fought at 140, he's kind of a big one in 47. Jesse Vargas' next fight was supposed to be at 154 pounds. So I think people are sleeping on this fight a little bit. I think it's going to be a lot tougher for Mikey Garcia than a lot of people think. Yeah, I think they're looking at names, and they're not considering everything that you just talked about with the, the weight disparity. I mean, when we talk about how what a tough time Mikey Garcia had, and I know he was fighting a super talent in Errol Spence, but what a tough time he had at 147 pounds. And then you're talking about a former world champion in Jesse Vargas, who's you know naturally bigger guy, and a guy who has you know fought Manny Pacquiao and has a lot of valuable ring experience. Uh, look, Jesse Vargas understands what this fight means to his career. He's you know he's trying to get back to being a world champion, and and Mikey Garcia, um, you know, is going to be dealing with quite an opponent on Saturday night. There's no doubt about it. It's kind of one of those last chance. I don't want to say last chance fights. But it's a crossroads fight. The loser is going to be in kind of a bad way, I think. And the winner is going to be primed for a big fight going forward. And there's a lot of talk that if Mikey Garcia wins as expected, we could see him potentially in a summer fight against Manny Pacquiao at 147 pounds in Saudi Arabia. And listen, I, I would love that fight. I think it's a terrific fight. Who would broadcast that, Mike? The Zone. Oh, that'd be on the zone. Now, I thought I thought Pacquiao has one more fight left on his PBC uh, deal. There's a bit of a discrepancy there, depending on who you ask. And one thing's for sure: we know that Al Heyman does not do lawsuits because he does not want to be exposed to discovery. He's shown that many times in the past when legal battles ensued. Look at Arthur Better Beef. Better Beef had a deal with Al Heyman, and he went to top rank. Nothing happens. So. Mm -hmm. the, the thought is that after Pacquiao went to Paradigm and Audi Attar, McGregor's manager, that he could be angling for a fight on the zone. I, I know he wants to avoid fighting in the U.S. if possible because to, to avoid both his current tax issue and the taxable income that would be generated from such a fight. Not to mention, yeah. we know how big these site fees are in Saudi Arabia. The, the Saudi government offered up north of $60 million for the rights to Joshua versus Ruiz. Yeah, and you know, now that you say that, Mike, it seems like the perfect explanation as to why we haven't heard much from the Manny Pacquiao camp about what they're, when, they're, when he's going to be fighting, because he was supposed to fight in April. That's now, you know, like off the table, and clearly he's angling for doing something else. We know that he fought... Uh, last time during the summer, so he's probably looking at, a, at another date in that time. I mean, you're absolutely right. Mikey Garcia would be the perfect opponent uh, for Manny Pacquiao. You know, you've got a four-division champion against the eight-division champion. This would be a sensational matchup. Yeah, and, and, so, and you know, like we said, Garcia Vargas should be sensational. I really think it's going to be a great action fight. These are guys, both guys that like to come forward and throw, you know, with, with conviction. Jesse Vargas is desperate for a victory. And these are two good technicians, and well, and a great technician in Mikey Garcia. But I'm almost as excited, like you said, to see what Chocolatito can do. This is a guy at the height of his powers who is just a marvel to watch, right? I mean, like you said, the pound for pound king, uh -huh. power, finesse. We haven't. He's been on for a long time now. I just have no idea what he has left. And Kayafai is a good fighter and a champion. I just don't know what he has. Right. Um I know, you know, look, and talking to some of his people, they're, you know, they, they don't know what, what Chocolatito has either, which is a little bit concerning. But, 
um, look, at the worst case scenario is that the uh, the champion will has like a showcase uh, victory on his belt, and that division has a, a lot of talent to it. So it's it's going to going to be an interesting night. What else on the card, Joseph Parker, Mike? I mean, what is it? What's in it for him uh, with this fight? What, where do you see him going with the victory on Saturday night? Yeah, he's missed back in a tune-up fight, and he should cruise to a victory. I mean, the heavyweight division is red hot right now. Couldn't be any hotter after Wilder Fury yeah. 2. I know that Adam Ko- Adam Kovnowski, we know, is fighting next Saturday against Robert Hellenius. That's another showcase-type fight. But we have other guys out there, too. Luis Ortiz, Andy Ruiz, uh, Murat Gaziev, who's supposed to be on this card, Usyk. Uh, I-, I think Parker's going to be a great option for any, any number of those names in another big fight over the summer. Yeah. Um, sounds good. And then what, what else on the card, Mike? I mean, obviously you talked about Madrimov, uh, you know, a, a definite candidate for prospect of the year, I believe. Yeah. I mean, if he's even a prospect when the year ends, the way they're fast tracking this guy, I mean, he's, uh-huh. he's so athletic. He's a good looking guy. He has a chance to really resonate. I think, and be another star for the zone if everything goes according to plan. And this is going to be a 154-pound title eliminator. So I would like to see a big statement from Madrimov and kind of put the division on notice and get that title fight you know, next time out or pretty soon after that. And I'm also excited to see if Julio Cesar Martinez can continue this march. You know, He's a smaller guy, but like you said, he's fighting just three pounds north of, of another great weight class in 115. He's with... Trainer of the year, Eddie Reynoso. So, um, you know, should be a great card. And I'm happy we're getting a big card piggybacking right off of Wilder Fury. Hopefully some casual fans who watch that fight will tune in some more boxing. Yeah, absolutely. The sport has a lot of momentum right now, Mike. Uh, especially with all this news that's going on. We, we know that we'll be uh, all over it the rest of the way. We really appreciate you guys joining us today on another episode of the Pug and Cop Show. And we will be back next week here at The Athletic Center.